Hi there, and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, with a sermon entitled, The Covering. We hope this is a blessing to you. Have a great week. This morning, as promised, last week we are going to be looking at the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. We're going to be uh, looking at the armor of God. Um, last week we talked about the, the battle that we are in, the spiritual battle. We talked about where our strength is supposed to come from. And we talked about who our real enemy is. Um, and we are going to look into today what God has provided for us uh, in order to be able to face this battle um, as his people. And I've entitled this sermon, The Covering. And uh, because that is what uh, God has, he has given us these things to cover us so that we might be safe and protected. So we're going to read from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, starting verse 10. And uh, let's, I'll invite you to turn there if you would like, or to be on the screen here. Um, sorry if it's too small. Um, so... Um, Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me to, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, um, We know where our strength comes from in verse 10. We are strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. And we know who our real enemy is, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and and authorities. What has God given us? He says, put on... The, full, the whole or full armor of God that you might be able to stand. There's a couple things as we read through that passage. There's a couple things I want us to see um, about what God has provided for us for this battle. The first thing I want us to recognize The battle, the the equipment that God has given us, he did not say, take up the full arsenal of God. He did not say, take up 
the vast array of weaponry of God. He says, take up the armor of God. There is an offensive weapon. There's only one. The word of God is our only weapon. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We are not called as Christians in this spiritual battle. We are not called to physical violence in our battle. We are given armor. That's the second thing I want us to recognize is it's armor. This is defensive in nature. We, God has given us armor to put on to protect ourselves from what the devil has that he's doing. We are fighting on an individual level. I don't want to overstate the case, but on an individual level, it's a defensive war. We're facing the enemy of the world and the flesh and the devil. And we are resisting. It's not passive. It's resisting. But our weapon is the Scripture. Our weapon... I left my Bible over here. Is the Word of God. We look to God for our strength. We look to God's Word for the ability to fight. We look to the armor he's provided us for defense. So, that being said, um, I, will, I will warn you. I, uh, this is, I'm playing with the idea. So I, I was talking with, I text with John earlier this week. I said, I really think I need at least two weeks to do this. Can I take next week too? He's like, I already got something planned. And I, and I was like, okay, fine. So he's, he's preaching next week. So... I had the choice of either give you a two-hour sermon today (laughs) or cut it at like the halfway mark and we'll pick it up next time Scott needs a a person to fill in. So I I think we're going to do the second one. I feel bad. So, uh, but, you know, I'm not going to leave you on a cliffhanger. We're just not going to get through all the pieces of the armor. but the reason why I want to go so deep is because there's such richness in, what, in this imagery that, that Paul gives us. There's, there's so much here, and I think so often we read this passage, if at all, and we read it and we just skim it and we move on. But this is, this is the armor. This is the only thing that God has given us to protect our hearts and our minds, and, the only, and, and to have a weapon in this battle. This is it. This is the only thing we've got. So we need to mine everything we can out of this passage to tell us how do we prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare? How do we prepare our families for spiritual battle? Because we're in a battle. Whether we like to think about it or not, whether it's popular to talk about it or not, there's a spiritual battle. Us modernists don't like thinking about the devil. It's kind of, we, you know, we... We, people snicker at us because they think of a, a dude in a, a red jumpsuit with horns and a little spade tail and a pitchfork. That's not the devil. The devil's scary. And he's real. And we are in a battle against him and all his forces. And God has given us tools. He's given us a covering. And we should not neglect to understand our covering that he has given us. And to put it on and to be ready. So with that being said, we're going to go through three of the coverings today. And the first covering we're going to look at is the covering of truth. The covering of truth. He says in verse 14, have, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Belt of truth. We have, we live in a world where truth is hard to come by. 
there was the, the coin phrased while uh, President Trump was in office of a post-truth age. Anybody hear that phrase thrown around? I heard it. I'm, maybe I'm the only one. But there were many in the media saying that we live in a post-truth age. Truth is hard to come by. It typically takes 200 milliseconds for a chunk of data to travel from point A anywhere in the world to point B anywhere else in the world and back. Round trip. 200 milliseconds. There are so many rumors and half-truths out there on the web that the, a whole industry of websites has started to help ferret out which rumors are in stories are true and which aren't, right? The, the fact checkers. But then we need fact checkers to fact check the fact checkers, right? Because often news sources don't even know for sure. There's a story I heard recently, and this is not an isolated incident, but it was a story of some forum where they were talking of, it was some backwoods forum like 4chan or something where they were talking about some very odd obscure thing and then someone posted an article saying some outlandish thing from this forum that wasn't true and the next thing you know somebody else picks up that article and says Oh man, and they republish it over here, and then some other outlet republishes the same article because they see it and it's outlandish. And before you know it, a major news outlet has picked up this story and said this this happened, and they cite their source, and it's I have this source and this source and this source, and you look at it, and they're all the same article shared by that one guy at different multiple places, and none of it's true. But then one major source picks it up and says, this is true, and then another major source says, oh yeah, look at that. The Washington Post said it, or whoever it was. And so it's got, as, a, uh, as someone once said, the internet fabrications and lies can travel halfway around the world before truth has had a chance to put its boots on. We live in a difficult age for truth. But the first article of armor that God gives us is the belt of truth. It's a belt of truth. As Oz Guinness said in his book, Time for Truth, he said, the Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it's true. It's not true because we experience it. We experience it deeply and gloriously because it is true. It is not simply true for us. It is true for any who seek in order to find. Because truth is true even if nobody believes it, and falsehood is false even if everybody believes it. And that is why truth does not yield to opinion, fashion, numbers, office, or sincerity. It is simply true, and that is the end of it. So, which has had more of an influence over you in this past year or so? The opinions of the world and the crowd or the truth found in God's word. I want to point out something about this armor here. It's very likely a lot of commentators and, and, and people think that Paul was writing this letter uh, of Ephesians in prison very likely, and he was guarded at all times by Roman soldiers. And so he likely crafted this imagery around Roman armor. And you notice, I zoomed in here on the belt. The belt is at the center. 
If they didn't, their, their breastplate would come down and had two flaps. And if the belt wasn't there to cinch it down, it, would, it could flap around and your, the rest, your, your breastplate didn't do you much good. And your sword was also attached to your belt. And so if your belt was not there, you didn't have a weapon easy at hand. So truth, just like the belt, often overlooked. Um, often overlooked. I wear a belt every day. My son doesn't like wearing belts. But his pants fall down. You wear, we, uh, in Sunday school, somebody said, they were talking about this verse, and their kid said, yeah, if you stand for truth, your pants don't fall down if you have your belt on. Or something like that. Um, but it's often overlooked. But it's necessary. It's at the center. We think of a belt as not really that important. I, I, I remember when I used to read this text, he talks about a helmet and a breastplate and a shield and a sword. And it's like, what, a, a belt? I mean, that's not armor. But it is. It ties the whole thing together. Just... It ties all of this, it weaves through it and ties it together. The Roman soldier's belt was essential. It was an essential piece of armor, just as the truth must be central. It is essential. And here's the other thing. We might be tempted in our day and age to negotiate on the truth. To say, I'm not going to take a hard line on that because nobody really knows. Or that might be subjective. That might be your truth or whatever. We, we might think, just like the belt, that it's, that it's not that essential. But the truth is essential. And we can't negotiate on the truth. The truth is truth. Like the quote from Oz Guinness said, the truth is true even if no one believes it. And a lie is still a lie even if everybody believes it. And just as essential as a belt is to make sure you guys aren't seeing my boxers, the truth is essential for our battle in life. So what is truth? That's the famous question that Pontius Pilate asked, right? What is truth? That's real small. Sorry. <laughs> it looked big on my computer screen when I was making it, but it's not very big. But the truth is an aspect of the nature of God himself. What does the scripture say? It says, he is our rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth. And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He's a God of truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Truth is the opposite of our enemy, who is called the father of lies. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is is what corresponds to reality. Um, I, I saw a great documentary, I recommend it, called What is a Woman? Um, and he, in, in it, the, there's an interview, and he asks, well, what is, I want to get to what is true. And this guy goes, what's your truth? And the guy responds, he says, I don't know that I have my truth. I just, there just is reality. I just want to get down to what is. And that's truth. That's, that, the, the world may try to confuse us and say, well, you've got your truth and you've got your truth, but truth is reality. That's what truth means. It's, it's a cor what corresponds with reality. And here's another important thing about truth is it's internally consistent. If it's true, you won't be able to find a place where it contradicts itself. Truth is consistent. So often we, when we lie, we get found out why. 
because we, get our, we don't get our story straight every time, right? We, we say one thing one time and they say a different thing and we, can, we contradict ourselves. We're not consistent. That's why we get uh, in trouble. And so I will just say for all you kids out there, telling the truth is easier. Just telling you. You don't have to keep the running track of all the lies you've told. Truth's not always e- it's not always uh, uh, fun, but it, it's a lot simpler. And then the last thing that truth is, is it's livable. Why do I say that? Truth in order to live a life without constant battling against our own selves, what does, you, what does Apostle Paul say about unbelievers? Those who, he says, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That it's like pushing a, a beach ball under the water. Anybody been swimming recently? When you try and hold or, or remember as a kid holding the beach ball down under the water, see how long you can keep it down there, it doesn't want to stay down there. It wants to pop up. That's what, and that's the, what suppressing the truth is like. We can, we, we can try to shove that truth down, but it's going to pop up. The moment we let up our effort and, and the whole lie we've built our life on is going to crumble as soon as the truth pops up once. Truth is livable. We don't have to fear being found out when we live in truth. We don't have to wrestle against our very created order when we live in truth. Uh, The truth of God is where we ought to be at all times. As I said, our enemy, we're talking about a battle. Our enemy is called the father of lies. He's a great deceiver. But if we have truth bound around us and have made truth a priority, we will be able to stand against deception and temptation. There are many people that have been brought down and bought and they have bought into the lies of the enemy they found an article or a book or a video on the web or in a store or whatever that told them a bunch of lies about the way the world is and the way God is but let me tell you something God is true as Proverbs 18:30 says let me take this one to the bank This God, Yahweh, the Lord, His way is perfect. The way of the Lord proves true. Sorry, the word of the Lord proves true. And He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. God, His word proves true. We may doubt from time to time. But if we've committed ourselves to God's word, it proves true every time. That brings us to the next thing. The covering of righteousness. It's described in verse 14 as having put on the breastplate of righteousness. To believe truth is to live out moral virtue. The breastplate of ancient times was like a modern day bulletproof vest. As a bulletproof, as a breastplate or bulletproof vest is a physical heart protector, so the breastplate of righteousness is a spiritual heart protector. Fighting in Paul's day was conducted in an up-close and personal manner. The quickest way to finish your enemy was a quick thrust to the heart. It would have been foolish for a Roman soldier to walk into battle without his breastplate. 
And we would be foolish to face our spiritual enemy without our breastplate of righteousness. For without it, we are not only weak, but we leave ourselves helpless in the invisible spiritual war. So what is righteousness? If it's the thing that protects our spiritual heart, if, it's, if he pictures it as this breastplate, and I will, I will also add, Paul's not just making this up either. He, he was probably looking at a Roman soldier and thinking about these things and the Holy Spirit's inspiring him. But in the prophets, the Lord is described as putting on righteousness as his garment. What is righteousness? If we're supposed to put it on, it's supposed to protect us. First, let's figure out what it is. Righteousness is the core of Christianity. Now, why do I say that? Righteousness is what the gospel is about. Righteousness is, as the next thing says, the actual doing and completing of God's will. How many of us do that? I don't see any hands. Our problem, the bad news, is we're not righteous. And God demands righteousness. And Christ gives righteousness. Righteousness is the word that sums up Christianity. We sang that song, in Christ alone, my hope is found. We cannot live the righteous requirements of the law on our own, and so we find righteousness from Christ. We need imputed righteousness. We need Jesus' righteousness put into us, made on our account. That's what we need. Righteousness by faith alone. Righteousness is the actual doing and completing of God's will. It's the core of Christianity. It's a right relation to God. We are, when we are not righteous, we are alienated from God. Righteousness is obedience through love. Righteousness is the result of salvation through faith alone. We need righteousness. We don't get it through working harder. We get it through faith. And what that looks like, once we have had salvation, it looks like spiritual discipline in the whole person and accountability in our words, actions, and thoughts. So what is righteousness not? It's not our own good works. I've t- this verse has come up a lot with conversations with me and my dad lately, but Isaiah says, the Lord says in Isaiah, he says, even your righteousness is as filthy rags. Our, our own good works, our own righteousness apart from Christ, it's motivated by bad uh, motives, And it ends up just a mess. And let me tell you, I've seen some filthy rags this week. You don't want them, okay? Filthy rags. It's not our own works. It's also not an act of pride. That was the Pharisees' problem in Jesus' day. They saw their righteousness, and they were very proud of their good deeds, And it's not selective sinfulness. I think, I think us, uh, especially those of us Christians who grew up in the church, but I think it's true of everybody, we're real good at looking righteous in some areas. But then there's select sins that we're like, 
maybe we don't say it's okay, but we're like, well, you know, I'm not perfect. And this thing, it just take, you know, just it's, it's, it's not that big a deal, right? That's not righteousness. That's not righteousness. But it's also not hypocritical judgmentalism. Righteousness is not pointing the finger at everybody else and saying to them how bad they are while ignoring the sin in your own life. Seems like we can be really good at the last two here. It seems like especially the one that's good at the first is real good at the second. When we think, when we're putting on this show to think we have got all of our stuff together, we're real good at condemning everybody else for their stuff. But that's not righteousness. Truth and righteousness cannot be separated. Paul says this. He says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Remember I said, the Old Testament has this picture in the prophets of God preparing for battle. And it says he has a a helmet of salvation. And he puts on righteousness as his garment. And the, the New Testament says that when we are resurrected, he will clothe us in white robes of Christ's righteousness. You remember I said that Jesus said he is the way and the truth and the life. To put on righteousness as a breastplate means we put Christ on. We put on Christ. If righteousness is meant to be a heart protector, if a breastplate protects our heart, we... When we recognize what true righteousness is, when we see Christ's imputed righteousness, His goodness, His rightness with God, His obedience, His perfect wholeness given to us by faith, and we let that cover our heart when accusations come from the enemy because they will when rightful accusations of our own sin come it doesn't pierce the heart because we know I'm righteous in Christ when temptation comes to draw our heart away after the world and the flesh and the devil Our heart is protected by Christ's righteousness given to us. To know, I don't need that. I've got Christ. I have put on Christ. I am righteous in Him. I may not look righteous all the time, but I am righteous in Him. My heart is safe from the the enemy's thrusts when I have Christ's righteousness around my chest. We're going to look at one more of the pieces of the armor today. And uh, this is the third one. It's what I've called the covering of peace. The covering of peace in verse 16, or 15, sorry, says, And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, having centered ourselves with the truth, having guarded our hearts with righteousness, we now move, Paul takes us to the feet. The feet are discussed in this verse to tell us that this gospel of peace is It goes with us daily as we walk through life. The gospel of peace is available through every difficulty. And the gospel of peace acts 
as a protection by readying us to engage in spiritual warfare. Now, again, I think shoes are something that we moderns take for granted. But I've been to some developing countries. I went to Haiti. Very few people have shoes. And life's harder. They, they, make, they will make shoes out of anything they can find to protect their feet. And a Roman soldier, we're thinking about these Roman soldiers and their armor. Shoes were essential for their readiness and protection. Ancient soldiers wore leather sandals that protected their feet from a variety of terrains. And likewise, the gospel of peace allows us to be in a constant state of readiness for the battle. I think it's interesting. He says, your shoes on your feet are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Readiness. Are you ready? We, Brother Chris uh, shared a passage of scripture a couple weeks ago. Shared this scripture. He said, in this, it says in this scripture, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. He says we need the readiness of the gospel. So I don't think this is a, a unrelated text. This is about being ready to share. Now how does that relate to spiritual warfare? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. It relates because if our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities, the only real way we're going to see victory is by marching forward and seeing hearts changed by the gospel. We might see, you know, we, we had a, the, life had a victory at the Supreme Court, but th that's not going to change anyone's heart. That's not going to win the kingdom of God and spread it across the, the, all of creation. That requires individual Christians sharing and being ready to share the gospel of peace with those around them. It is an essential part of the battle that we are in is being ready to share the gospel of peace. Have we taken steps to make ourselves ready? By knowing God's word. But I would also point out, thanks to this verse, this is something we talked about in, in Sunday school after um, Chris shared his message, is what does Paul tell us um, in this passage? He says it's the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in this passage... Peter tells us we need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. In neither one of these passages does he tell us we need to be ready to give a dissertation or to go into a debate about all the manuscript and archaeological evidence of the scripture and, and all the uh, teleological arguments for the existence of God. and all. He, he doesn't tell us, I mean, those are helpful, but... He tells us what we need to be ready to do is to give an answer for the hope we have. He tells us what we need to be ready to do is share the gospel of peace. The good news that brought us near to God, that gave us peace with God, we need to be able to be ready to share that. So I'm not putting a heavy, Paul and I, we're not putting a heavy burden on you saying you need to be you know, get your, go to get your master's in apologetics or, you know, your doctorate in biblical theology or uh, biology and so you can answer the debate or what. Look, 
Learn that stuff if that's what you're into. That's fine. I'm really into it. But be ready to share the gospel that brought you to the Lord and to share the, give a reason for the hope that you have. That's what you're called to be ready for. So we're called to have readiness. And I would add, who said, we are not responsible for the result of evangelism, only the process. We are not, God doesn't hold us responsible for knowing all the answers to all the questions. He doesn't, he doesn't hold us responsible for the people choosing to repent or not. He just holds us responsible for doing what we are called to do. We're supposed to share. We're supposed to give the truth. Give the, we're supposed to be ready to give a defense and be ready to share this gospel of peace. The results are up to God. That's not our job. That's God's job. And this second aspect of this I want us to see, he says we need to be ready. But he says readiness of the gospel of peace. And I think um, I've alluded to it a little bit, but I want to dig into this a little bit more. Because this is a very crucial part of our faith. The word gospel doesn't mean gospel songs, right? It doesn't mean uh, uh, whatever people... uh, There's a lot of things that people think gospel means. And I think sometimes when we Christians use it for unbelievers, they go, I don't know, what's gospel mean? You need to believe the gospel. I need to believe in that guy that sings on the radio? Like, I, what? That's not what I'm talking about. Word, the word gospel comes from the Greek word evangelion. And it comes from an English word that means the good spell or the good news. It literally means good news. And the Greek means the same thing. Evangelion, it's, it, it was a usually a technical term talking about when a, uh, a messenger would come to announce victory in battle. This is the good news. It's the victory in the battle. So we, we bring the good news of peace. Of peace. And peace is not peace. Peace. Peace is not uh, inner peace, right? Um, I, I, my, uh, I, I used to work at this very hippie store, and uh, we sold CDs with, like, instrumental flute music on it, and it said, inner peace. And we, we sold incense that said they were labeled inner peace. That's not what the gospel's about. I mean, God will give us inner peace in our mind, but this is peace as related to the topic of war. It is the, the ceasing of conflict. It is the resolution of animosity and enmity. This is a gospel of peace. It's not about calm, relaxed feelings. It's a peace of re- broken relationships restored. The gospel of peace is a gospel that tells the good news that mankind that was far away and broken away and had no relationship, alienated from God in our unrighteousness, that mankind has been brought back and given peace with the God that we were alienated from. Charles Spurgeon said, We believe in a gospel that was formed in the purpose of God for all eternity, designed with infinite wisdom, wrought out an enormous expense, costing nothing less than the blood of Jesus, brought home by the infinite power of the Holy Spirit, a gospel full of blessings, and one of which would outweigh the world in price. 
a gospel as free as it is full, a gospel everlasting and immutable, a gospel of which we can never think too much, whose praise is we can never exaggerate. This is the gospel, and it's a glorious thing that we have peace with God through our Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says that we have We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But now, Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been justified by faith. We were alienated from God, and now we are near. We have been adopted as children of God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's an intimate relationship. We went from being enemies to being children. We went to being far off to being close in an intimate relationship. And we lastly have one more scripture here that uh, isn't working. Okay. And last, the last verse is we receive mercy instead of the just punishment of our sins. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have peace with God. This gospel is a gospel that brings us peace with God. But I would argue it also brings us peace with our other, with our fellow mankind. It brings us peace with others. In Proverbs 16, 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. This gospel that we proclaim, when our lives get into right relationship with God, when we have righteousness and we're walking in righteousness, we're walking in peace with God, even our enemies will be at peace with us. Not always. But we, that's another thing about being ready with the gospel of peace. You know, I, I've, I, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I want you to remember who our real enemy is. Our real enemy is not the person that we're having a political debate with. Our real enemy is not the person that's checking you out of the grocery store that has the rainbow button on their shirt, okay? That's not our enemy. Our real enemy is not the opposing political, or, you know, if you're of a different persuasion, our enemy is not the one with the MAGA hat, okay? Our enemy is not the person that disagrees with us. Our enemy is... The same enemy of all mankind is the devil. And the gospel of peace brings us internal peace, it brings us peace with God, and it brings us peace with our fellow man. When people's hearts are changed because we care enough to love them and bring them the gospel, which God says is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God, not your winsomeness and your uh, witty retorts, not your ability to persuade people. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So God will save. We just be faithful. And when God saves people, there's going to be peace between you and that person, right? If you're both serving the same master, there's peace. Theoretically, church, let's not bicker amongst each other, right? Amen? But uh, that brings us to this closing. 
We're going to close with this. Thinking of this gospel of peace. Thinking of um, righteousness and truth. I know most of you here today. And I know that you have put your hope in Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you know Jesus, take the truth and make it essential in your life. Take Christ's righteousness and let it guard your heart. Be ready. Put the readiness of the gospel peace on your feet, ready to take you through whatever circumstance you find yourself in. But if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Christ today, or up until this point in your life, I've talked a lot about an enemy. And let me just tell you, you're a sitting duck if you're not in Christ. It's the only weapons we have are Christ's righteousness, God's truth, God's gospel, Next time we'll look at God's salvation. God's truth is our only hope against this enemy that we all face. And you too can have peace with God if you'd but repent of your sin and turn to Him. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.